0: Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? I ask that every every single time I, I speak. I'm sure you can always hear me, regardless of whether I've got a mic. Good. Well, this morning we are continuing our series that we've called In Jesus' Shoes. In Jesus' Shoes. And the idea of this series is that we will look at moments of Jesus' life, how he interacted with different people, how he responded To certain situations and we're doing that in order that we would have a greater understanding of who Jesus is in order that we would be better equipped in our attempts to follow him and be more like him so over the last couple of weeks we've looked at how Jesus treated Nicodemus looking at how we could follow Jesus's example in building trust. And then last week, we looked at rejection, focusing on what we can learn from how Jesus responded to the rejection of his hometown. And this morning, we're going to be looking at, well, we're looking at the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, And we're going to be looking a little bit at temptation. But really, I don't think the title that we have in our Bibles, Jesus Tempted in the Wilderness, is very accurate. Really, I think it's Jesus is told lies in the wilderness. And we're going to be looking this morning at the lies that we are told. The lies that we are told. And how, through looking at Jesus and how he responds to these lies, how we can be people who understand and see the lies when they come at us, and that can be rooted in God in the midst of these lies and temptation. And I gotta be honest, this morning I'm talking about something that this, the last few weeks I've been really thinking about something over the last few weeks that God's really been stirring in me and I don't normally get nervous to do any talk. I'm, I mean I, I love doing talks but this morning I'm slightly nervous, slightly nervous that what I want to say, what I feel like God is saying really comes across and I'm, I'm slightly nervous that um, I won't say anything that is not of and from God. So will we just pray with me? for a moment, just before I start talking. Yeah, Lord, thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you stir us. And God, I just pray this morning that as I speak, anything that is not of you will fall away. God, I just pray that I will be able to portray your heart this morning. Lord, that we will come away from this morning with a greater understanding of your love and to be pushed towards living out the best that you have for each one of us. In Jesus name. Amen. Right. So we're going to be reading this morning from Matthew chapter four verses 1 to 11 and in our Bibles they've added a little title to it that says Jesus receiving temptation in the wilderness so if you do have your Bibles with you open up to Matthew chapter 4 but as always it will be on the screen behind me it says this then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple if you are the son of god he said throw yourself down for it is written he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone jesus answered him it is also written do not put your the lord your god to the test As I read this passage, it's one that I find fascinating because there's something, firstly, very comforting in the reality that Jesus received temptation. And actually, if you read the first line of the passage, it says that Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness in order that he would receive temptation. So right away, we could recognise that receiving temptation is okay, it is normal, and it's not something to be ashamed of. It's natural. It's part of being a human. But for me, it's the type of temptation that Jesus receives that I find particularly interesting and that I want to explore a little bit this morning. The type of temptation that Jesus receives three times in this passage. For many of us, whilst the specific things that Jesus is tempted with are different from the temptation that we might receive in our lives, there are so many parallels found in our own stories. And I hope to kind of show these parallels as we go through this morning. Straight away, we read that this temptation comes in Jesus's weakest moment. He's in the wilderness. He's alone and he's very, very hungry. 40 days of fasting. So Jesus would have felt physically weak. He was hungry and he was tired. Now, who here finds that being hungry and tired is your perfect combination for being your best self? (laughs) All of us, all of us. And who finds that being tired and hungry makes you become short with people? You're easily angered and you become the slightly less brilliant version of yourself. (laughs) This temptation comes to Jesus in the middle of this. In the middle of this moment of hunger and tiredness, the tempter, as described in the passage, was calculated in the attempts to trip Jesus up. The first tactic, get Jesus when he is tired and when he is grumpy. And then we start to see a real plan of temptation. And I really think that some of these things in this passage give a really accurate picture of a genuine tactic used against us and used throughout scripture to trick people up and used in our own lives. And the tactic really is this. Each temptation put before Jesus comes in the form of a lie a lie used to attack or to inflate his ego. Every temptation that we read about is wrapped up in a lie. Will you believe this lie, Jesus? Let's go through these three temptations put before Jesus in the passage. The first one is this. It says, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So this temptation starts with the focus on Jesus's weak point. And in this instance, it was that he is hungry. However, I don't really think at all that the focus on this temptation is about food at all. This focus on the action, turning the stone into bread, is hiding the more destructive lie that is wrapped up in it. A challenge to Jesus' ego in the form of a lie. And the challenge of the ego was this. I thought you were supposed to be the son of God, yet here you are, hungry and without food. If you were really powerful, you wouldn't be hungry like this. Maybe you're not that powerful after all. Maybe you're not even able to turn the stone into bread. Go on, prove it. Prove that you can do this, Jesus. So Jesus in this moment is being tempted by a lie. A lie that says you need to prove yourself. A lie that says you are only as successful or as powerful as your actions prove. Does anyone else relate to that lie? I know that I do. Your worth is in your success. Your identity is in your achievements. See, this lie was wrapped up and hidden in another thing, disguised in the need for food and the hunger that Jesus was feeling. The initial temptation was seemingly about food, making food from the stone, but the more destructive temptation was to believe a lie, was to believe the lie that he needed to prove his authority or his worth. An attack at the ego wrapped up in a lie. Can we see this? Can we see how this works? Often the tactic of the enemy is to hide something that is truly damaging to our lives, our faith, and to the people around us in something that seems insignificant. To bring our focus towards our behaviour in order that we would be unaware of the lie that is being fed to us. See, in this moment, turning the stone into bread in the grand scheme of things is not particularly harmful. You might say, well, it goes against his fasting, And therefore, it would show a lack of discipline. But how much more damaging would it be to live under the lie that your worth and your identity comes from your success and action? And then the next temptation put towards Jesus says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Again, straight away as we read this, we begin to notice this prove it language, challenging the ego of Jesus Telling him that he needs to prove his worth. And you'd imagine that this tactic was particularly strong uh, to use against Jesus as he already had power and authority. So the the ego was the natural attack point. But as we look deeper into this second temptation, we see another lie that goes a step further put towards Jesus. It asks the question, are you even loved? The lie put before Jesus, God doesn't love you. If you jump, then we will see if God loves you. Only then can you really know that you are loved. If you don't jump, you have no way of knowing whether God loves you. The only way you will truly know of his love is if you jump and see if he catches you. Again here, there may be a lie that many of us can relate to. I'm not loved by God or by anyone else. Wrapped up in the focus of the action, jumping off and seeing if God catches you, is a lie, a lie that says you are not loved. Again, the focus put towards Jesus is the action or the behaviour, but the real attack is on trying to get Jesus to believe this lie about himself. Then finally, the third temptation put before Jesus is this. It says, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you if you bow down and worship me. Again, it goes without saying that this is very ego focused. The focus of attack again is, will Jesus uh, really want to inflate his ego? And the lie is very simple. And it's the same lie that we see in the story of Genesis of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It's a lie that says you can be greater (coughs) than God. Or in other words, you are not enough. If you had this then you would be truly fulfilled if you had just a bit more power if you had just a bit more authority then you will be fulfilled because as you are you are not enough again you can see why this might have been a tactic of temptation to put before Jesus and again many of us may relate to this lie you are not enough or even god will not truly satisfy you or you need this and then you will be happy you just need more stuff you just need more power you just need more authority you just need to be recognized more as a great person and then you will be satisfied and happy wrapped up again in the focus of the behaviour bowing down, is this lie, you are not enough. You are not enough. A lie spoken over Jesus. And believing this lie would lead to a life of constant searching for more, seeking this momentary high, Choosing the busyness and striving constantly and never just being in the presence of God. Each of these temptations put before Jesus start with, will you believe this lie? Each of these temptations start with, Will you believe that you are not enough? Will you believe that you need more? Will you believe that God will not satisfy you? And I think when we look deeper into the temptations that we face, we'll find that there's often a lie at the centre of every single one. In Genesis, we read of the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And whether you think this is a literal story or a metaphorical one, it's clear that right at the centre of this story is a lie. God says, enjoy this land. Enjoy the fruit On the trees enjoy each other's company enjoy this beautiful creation but guys don't eat that one particular fruit on that one particular tree and again we see that temptation comes here in the form of a lie it said to them God knows that when you eat from this tree your eyes will be opened and you will be like God you will know good and evil Again, the lie seems obvious as we read of this story. The lie is that you can be like God. You don't want to be inferior to God. God doesn't love you if he's keeping something from you. You'll never be satisfied as you are. And the root of the first sin in this story, or the first loss to temptation takes place here. The first time that uh, the Bible talks about people losing out to sin, and the sin is not eating the apple. The sin is taking hold of a lie, taking hold of this lie. See, everything that we believe, everything that we believe, everything that comes from within us produces fruit. And we often talk about fruit in the sense of the fruit of the spirit or said another way, the way our actions and behaviours are transformed as a result of having the spirit in us. And when we align ourselves with the truth, who God is, who we are, how He loves us, and how He loves people around us, when we take hold of this truth, the result is that we begin to produce good fruit. We start to treat people well. We show love. We show patience. We show kindness, etc. But it's also the same with lies. When we align ourselves, or believe, or take hold of lies, lies about who we are, lies about who God is, or whatever it is, lies about others. When we take hold of these lies, we begin to produce fruit that reflect the lies that we have believed. What is in us comes out of us. And we project these lies onto our relationships, onto ourselves, onto our self-esteem, onto God. And I'm sure that many of us know the reality of this. If you believe that you're not able to do something, 99.9% of the time, you're not going to be able to do it. You don't need to be a spiritual guru or even a Christian to understand the reality of this. Make a good tree and the fruit will be good. Make a bad tree and the fruit produced will not be so good. In the New Testament, one of the key themes is out of the heart flows behaviour. What comes out of your mouth is an overflow of the heart. And you read Paul's letters and they have a structure to them. Almost all of them have this structure. Part one, taking hold of who Jesus is. Part two, the actions that flow from that belief. But one of the biggest problems with the church today, and the problem is not new, it's a a problem that Paul was trying to sort out and address in these letters as well, is that our focus so often is on behaviour. Our focus so often is on part two. And we project these things onto other people as well. We expect people to behave before they even believe. We expect people to behave and we expect ourselves to behave. We focus on behaviour so often. We try to get the behaviour right in order that we may feel like a good Christian. We put energy into managing behaviour and in doing so We're taking away the centre of our hearts and our focus on God and spending time in his presence and being transformed by him because we're trying so hard to sort ourselves out. And the problem with doing this, the problem with focusing on our behaviour rather than focusing on our hearts is that this bad fruit will just bubble up within us and we just won't be able to contain it. I don't know about you, but I've found that I cannot beat temptation or I cannot stop myself from doing things that I don't want to do in the long term by just focusing on my behaviour, by just trying really, really hard not to do it. If my temptation is around anger, so I try really hard not to be angry with people, and instead I speak all lovely to everyone that I come up against and I brush everything off and I say lovely things about rainbows and butterflies and all things that are lovely and beautiful because I'm in church and that's what I do. I know that not only whilst I'm doing that am I punching everyone in the face in my head, but I also know that at some point I'm going to explode. I cannot hold it in by simply trying hard to fix my behaviour. I'm not capable of doing that. So what else can I do? If I can't just focus on this behaviour, what can I really focus on? Well, if we follow the structure of Paul's letters, Instead of focusing on the behavior, we focus in on who Jesus is. We seek to understand him more by spending more time with him. And as we do this, as we learn about him, as we allow the truth that he brings to set in our hearts, as we spend time in his presence, then we naturally begin to produce good fruit if we can grasp that sin is entrenched in lies then it becomes clearer how spending time with god guards us against it as we spend time with god we begin to take hold of truth truth that we are loved that we are so valuable that we are made in his image, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And as we begin to take hold of those truths for ourselves, we then recognize that this is true for everyone else as well. So everyone that I speak to, everyone that I know, everyone that I have a conversation with, I am thinking about how they are fearfully and wonderfully made, how they're loved by God, how they are valuable, how they are loved. And let me tell you, when we start to take hold of these truths, then the lies that underpin the temptation that we receive starts to lose its power. When we focus on behaviour, it's almost impossible to break the cycle. We just constantly do things that we don't want to do we say things that we don't want to say and we may be able to stop for a certain amount of time but then it bubbles back up and we repeat ourselves again but if we seek healing from the lies that we have been told and that we've believed about ourselves then we'll grow healthier as we uh, as the hold of these lies lose its grip The truth is, however, for many of us, it's we hear these things, this is, this is how I often feel. We hear these things and they just feel like concepts. And they're far too abstract to really be my truth. We know these things as head knowledge, but the reality is we feel like we are not worthy. We feel like we're not lovable. We feel like we are a failure, we feel like we need to prove ourselves. And to be honest, some of these lies, we believe as a result of really difficult times in our lives or hurt or pain that have become entrenched in our lives. And it's so difficult for these lies that have led to deep feelings about who we are and who God is not to lead us to a place of unhealthy and unhelpful behavior in our relationship with God and with others. An example of this is the lie, you are not capable. Now there are many reasons we may feel like we are not capable. Maybe it's something that we, in the past that we feel is a failure, something we feel like we failed in, or words used against us in the past. But when we start to believe the lie that I am not capable, we then align ourselves with it, and we take hold of the lie of the enemy and allow it to become my truth. And once this lie becomes my truth, it quickly then becomes my identity. I am Jake and I am incapable. And this lie given by the enemy has now become how I feel. I feel incapable. And therefore, before I do anything, I lack confidence because I've labelled myself incapable and that's not my fault. It's because of the pain, the past, the things that have been said, the things that I see as a failure. So I decide I'm not going to try because I don't want to fail. These destructive lies that are fed to us target our self-esteem in order that we would not be able to live out the best that God has for us. Because there's a fear that the enemy has that when we are thriving and living out our best, then our impact will be so great that he won't be able to handle it. When lies become entrenched in us, we can't just try really hard to not allow it to be shown in our behaviour. It will never work and in reality it misses the whole point anyway it focuses on the wrong thing. In fact, the reality is often we first need to recognize that there's a lie that we've believed about ourselves. And sometimes we need to dig deeper into why we've believed this lie before we can even start deconstructing it. And this process needs to happen before we start focusing on our behavior or on our actions. And this is why really seeking help from counsellors and therapists can sometimes be such a great gift for us, helping us to talk through some of these things that have affected our lives negatively and helping us to understand where that lie has come from. But we also, in addition to this, we need to seek the healing that God brings we need prayer and we need community to help us to challenge these lies that we have believed acknowledging before god that this lie has really taken a hold of me and seeking healing from the pain that has, uh, that has caused us that this lie has caused our hearts And if you're comfortable inviting a tight knit community to pray for you, to lay hands on you if you're comfortable and to ask God for his healing to come and to break down this lie. In the passage that we read this morning, Jesus attacks the lie with truth. Each time he was tempted, he responds with scripture. Jesus knew the heart of God. He knew what God was like. He'd spent time in his presence. He'd studied what people had written about him. He knew God's truth. And for Jesus, that was a weapon. A weapon against the lie of the enemy. Temptation often comes wrapped up in a lie and often we could be tempted using a lie that we need to just fix our behavior but instead sometimes we just need to heal sometimes the behavior isn't what we should be focusing on at all we just need to heal We need people around us. We need God's healing. We need to talk things through. We need to be willing to deconstruct these lies. See, it's so easy for us to jump into the action to say, well, I've just got to sort myself out. But I believe that that is one of the lies of the enemy that you just need to sort yourself out. Instead, we are invited to a place of healing, to a place of open arms, to a place of love. And we do this by spending time with God, by seeking help from community or from professionals, understanding who God is and spending time in his love and taking hold of the truths that Jesus brings. We're going to pray. If the worship team would like to come up, that would be great. And I just want to pray for these Lies, for us to recognize these lies that we have taken hold of. And I, I just want to, to make clear that there's no shame in believing these lies. Often these lies have come through things that people have said to us that have hurt us. Things that have happened in our lives that have really held us down. And we really need the healing of God to come into these places. So as we worship, as we sing pride of a father, I just want to encourage you to really allow the love of God to wash over you. If that means not singing and just stay sat or standing and reflecting on the words. Just allow the love of God to wash over you as he begins to heal us of these lies that have held us back and these lies that have stopped us from living out the best that God has for us. Should we stand? I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you. That the truth is that you love us, that we are so valuable to you, that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. And God, I just pray that the truth of that will set us free from the lies that we have been told, from the lies that we have believed, the lies that are not of you God, we recognise that this is a really difficult thing to think about, to talk about. But God, we just pray that your healing will come. Your healing will come in each of us, that we will know the truth that you say over us, that you love us. God, will you help set us free from destructive lies that lead us to live uh, a half-hearted life a life that's not your best lord keep our minds away from focusing just on behavior but instead of focusing on you focusing on your love focusing on your truth So Holy Spirit, as we sing this song, will you come and you minister to us and with us. You are here in this place and God, we just pray that your spirit will start a work that will continue of healing, of breaking down lies. God, thank you that your love is so much greater than anything that we could believe about ourselves. Will you fill us with your love now? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WIT Riverside.